the plan was to have good grades, to be the doctor in the family, be the first doctor in the family so that my family would have bragging rights. And uh, that was my plan. That was sort of always, that was always what was from a very early age, what was expected of me. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. You may be surprised by our guests every Friday, but I usually have a little bit of a leg up in knowing about them. Today was different. It was a totally pleasant surprise for me. Uh, Forgive me. There are some questions that I ask. I did not know much about my guest. She was presented to me by my producer, Ayla, and I saw a very brief YouTube clip of her singing. I hit stop after about five seconds and I said, she's in. I knew a little bit about her story coming from Zimbabwe. Uh, It was enough to hook me that she followed the 10,000 no's pattern. Uh, But I think this was a good omen when this happened. And then however you pronounce August, I say August, but it's because I have an accent. But yeah, August, August I was born in August. So oh, are you? I, I'm, a, I'm an August baby too. I'm a Leo too. What's are you your Leo birthday? You... Yeah, Leo. August, August 2nd. I'm August 2nd. No. Yeah. Hold on. Seriously? Yeah. So we found out we shared a birthday right off the top and the conversation just flowed from there. She's got a great story. She's got incredible perspective on race relations because she is mixed race. And she just has really an incredible story that I can't wait for you to hear. But- Before we jump in with today's episode, I want to ask you something. How'd you land here at 10,000 No's? Maybe you know today's guest personally, or maybe you've heard of them, or maybe you know me and you've been listening for a while, or you're just dropping in for the first time to check this thing out. Either way, I'm guessing that in some way you're looking for something. You're looking for answers about how to be better at what you do, how to get over a breakup or a letdown, or if you're some type of creative or an actor like me, you're looking for some inspiration, some magical quote that's going to lift you up, get you through your day or your week. If any of this applies to you, check out the link in the show notes for the 10,000 No's Insiders community. This is something I launched at the top of 2021, and in a nutshell, this is why I did it. Tons of people write into the show. It helps them. They're inspired, blah, blah, blah. But then what? What do they do with it? Who do they talk to about it? And that's essentially what it is. A group of like-minded, go-getting, mostly creatives, but all people who are in some career track that just doesn't have a very obvious one-size-fits-all approach. So that's all we did. We set up an intimate group online. It's a private Facebook group coupled with live Zooms weekly where people just get into it. And sometimes that means specific business strategies. Sometimes it's about mindset and approach. And sometimes it's just about unloading on the group and having people that care, but who are outside of your personal domain, keeping you accountable so you actually do the things that you need to do in order to not only succeed in a competitive field, but keep your soul intact while doing so. You can get more information at the link, but here's what some current members are saying about it. 
Another thank you to everyone for the help. The group helped me get in a great place before my audition, follow my gut, and take a risk by breaking the rules. Thank you for this amazing group of humans. The accountability of our community was just the nudge I needed. Sent a draft to my editor today. By the way, the woman who said that was a total baller at Nike for 30 years, and she's now in a second career as a writer. After our group, I felt so good, it changed my entire mentality. I didn't even realize the negative energy I was putting out there. That's just to give you the spirit. And that's not even mentioning the amazing VIP guests that drop in to lead the group with me once a month. Many of them are past guests of this show, all of them immensely impressive. If this sounds like something that might be of interest to you, go check out the link for 10,000 No's Insiders Community. But for now, let's get to the show. Yeah, I was born and raised in Zimbabwe, in the capital city of Harare. Um, my family, my mom comes from a very big family. I am an only child. Um, my mom is one of eight. She's the oldest. And um, we, my dad is British. My dad was settled in Zimbabwe. He was working as a water engineer. He had land, um, met my mom, had me. And uh, the story goes, he wasn't necessarily particularly involved in, in raising me per se. I was raised by my grandmother because my mom was a single parent and always working. Um, and a tribe of aunties, you know, very opinionated, you know, uh, women in my life. And then uh, my dad, I guess the degree that he was involved was mostly my, my education, uh, overseeing that kind of aspect and my grades because, you know, he kind of was was the brains and he was always, you know, proud of the fact that I, you know, hopefully if genetics panned out that I would have his brains, I guess you could say. Um, so I the plan was to have good grades to be the doctor in the family, be the first doctor in the family so that my family would have bragging rights. And uh, that was my plan. That was sort of always that was always what was from a very early age, what was expected of me. And that was, it, you know, it was, that was, that was what I knew. The path was kind of clear. It was, it was set out and I could just follow what I needed to do, get good grades and, and be the shining light <laughs> for, for my family, I guess. So um, age 17, I finished high school. My mom then approached my dad and she said, okay, so this is time to put your money where your mouth is. She's, you know, got some good grades. Do you want to help facilitate her going to the UK and, you know, get a passport for her so that she can pursue her education and so forth and so forth. Um, long story short, he said no. And so she said, okay, well, I'm going to Canada. My my brother's in Canada and I think we're, we're just going to go. So say goodbye. And that was it. So we left. So my mom and I left with every, with everything we had, um, nothing but a dream and arrived in Canada and yeah, we settled in Canada and I, you know, I went to, went to school. I, I had to do the equivalent, um, before I could go to university, I had to do my science prerequisites. So I was able to go to a Canadian high school, which was an experience in and of itself, especially coming from a very militaristic British upbringing where it was school uniforms, very, um, you know, stringent rules and, and regulations to come to a school where 
everyone was wearing casual clothes and like people were in the hallways running around and not in single file and not being told what to do. And so that was a very interesting experience. And I'm glad that it happened because that one year that I spent getting my science prerequisites before university was the year I was able to do things like musical theater or join the choir because it was free. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, totally. So I, you know, I did musical theater. I, 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 I was doing everything and anything I could. And I think, you know, I was, it was sort of always an artist, but in hiding. And, and I think that was kind of a snippet to me of, of the things that, that were kind of laying beneath the surface, I guess. Um, but, you know, I didn't really think anything of it because who becomes an artist? Like those are not things we are raised to believe that you could, you know, be, become an actor. Those are things that, you know, are reserved to people who, you know, have the, the privilege of dreaming. We, we have, like, you go to school, you become a doctor, you become a lawyer, you do the thing that will guarantee success. And, um, you know, bless my parents, you, you only know what you know, right? So, um, so, Graduated from high school in Canada, and then I took a year off, and then I uh, just worked to save some money, and then I went to University of Toronto, and I studied studied science, I studied physics, and chemistry, and bio, and I did that for four years, got my honors Bachelor of Science degree, and then I graduated in 2009, and that was, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of oh no, what do I do now? Because <laughs> I was like, I have this degree and it was like, this was do or die. This was the moment where I had to start applying for my MCAT and start actually pursuing further education and incurring more student debt and all these other things that I had to think about that it became more of a reality for me. So I think that was the point where I, where I realized, okay, you know, the, the jig is up. I gotta, at some point you have to, you know, you gotta stop and be honest with yourself. And so I sat down with my mom and I said, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I may be good at math, good at science, but I, I'm not passionate about this. And I can't see myself committing to being, to doing this full time, you know, cause this is the point of no return. This is the point where it's, you know, you go to, you go to med school and you're paying all that money. You better, you better, you know, there's no backing out at that point. And so she said, Okay, I just says, do you, do you know what you want to do? And I said, I, I actually don't, but I know it's not that. And so she said, okay, well, you know, figure it out. And so I was like, yeah, we'll figure it out. She's like, and, and you know, my mom was never the, the person who, who kind of tried to force me to be a doctor. Like she was, she was always, she was kind of focusing on just putting food on the table and doing, you know, she was doing the best that she could as a single parent. So in a lot of ways, she was relying on me to show, show me, like I've come here to this country and I, you're, you're, I'm learning just as much as you are. Um, so you make the path and you, you show us what it is. And, and at the end of the day, whatever you do, I will support you. And, and it, it, whatever you do will be the first in our family regardless. So, you know, so, so, so do, do you. And so that was kind of what, what, what happened. And I, so I moved back home, um, again, full of student debt that I had to pay off. And I worked at a call center trying to figure it out. And this is, and in, this is in Toronto? This was this in, point? yeah, this was in Toronto, okay. a new market. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And I just remember thinking, well, I, I don't know. I really, I don't know where to start. 
Like, I don't know what it is. So I, I started a YouTube channel and I was doing music on the side. I was working with various producers. I was um, recording demos for people, for artists, um, doing, doing music here and there. With uh, Yeah, and I, I sang with the U of T gospel choir while I was at, at U of T. And so we performed and we toured and, and we released albums, live albums. And, and so that was part of like community for me. How old are you at this point? How how old are you at this point when you're, you know, when you're making this decision, when you're kind of freaking out about med school, mm-hmm. um, are you, you're early twenties at this point? Yeah, I'd say early twenties. Yeah. Um, Cause I did, like, I got here when I was 17, went to school, 18 OAC, I think was the last year they did, they had OAC uh, around. So I did that and then graduated. And I think it was at that point after my four year degree at university, which was 2009 is when I graduated. So at that point, I'm what, uh, 20, 20, 24, 24 years old, 25. And so, yeah, so that's the moment where mid twenties, where you're sort of rethinking everything and you're like, okay. um, Yeah. it, It just felt like such a huge decision to make. Um, and it, it just felt like, especially because I knew how expensive it was and I knew that I didn't have the support of, you know, my dad paying for it. I didn't, I, it was all going to be myself and my mom. It was so, so it had to like, you know, the, the, the decision I made had to be weighed, um, very deliberately because again, it would have put us, you know, in a situation that we'd be paying for it literally for, for a long time. So it had to be something I loved. It had to be something I could commit myself to being, uh, to doing indefinitely. And, um, and, and that just leads to that. How, how early on, because you were saying before that you, you got to Canada and that's where you realized, oh, I could take theater. I could do musical theater. Mm-hmm. When you were young though, when you were a kid, mm-hmm. were you taking piano lessons or singing lessons or was there any kind of if you I, I know it's easier hindsight's 2020 but if mm-hmm. you look back now yeah. um, do you go oh yeah this is for, for me that's a situation at the time that I turned toward acting it felt mm-hmm. like completely out of left field but mm-hmm. when I look back in retrospect it actually makes a ton of sense mm-hmm. I just couldn't see it at the time so if you look mm-hmm. back now do you do you look at yourself and go, oh yeah, I, that was in me. This was in me. This is not such a shock to me when I really think about it now that I'm an actor, that mm-hmm. I sing, that I, like how, how what's your relationship to the artistry? Yeah. I mean, so growing up, I was always the the kid who, you know, would, would stomp on my tennis racket and pretend I was doing concerts and like I would get my cousin's reluctantly involved in being my backup singers and like and I was always I was always singing sing music was always part of my my expression as a child um and but again it's I think it's that kind of left brain right brain thing you know where it's like the logical side is like oh this is just stuff you do to feel good and to you know and 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 but but being an adult is not necessarily feeling good it's not synonymous with feeling good so it's that kind of thing do you know what I'm saying indulge and then you're like okay now the real life you know let's let's do real real life boring things so yeah I think you're right in that regard is that it was always there it was always budding inside of me and it was the thing that 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 just got my juices flowing and, and got me excited and being seen in that way. And I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was 
a shy kid because I, I was, I didn't shy away from uh, positions where I was put up on, uh, in, in, in the limelight or like, like in, in school, I was elected as the head girl, which I don't know if that makes any sense now, but in the British system, you have a body, a student body of prefects who are elected and like who um, give us at the assemblies, they give the announcements, they enforce the rules and all these things. So public speaking was like, I never shied away from being in a position of, of authority or power or, or commanding a stage and being up there. But I think I was most comfortable commanding a stage when I was singing and I was, and music to me was my way of kind of expressing myself. So, so in that regard, yes. And, and singing in the church too was a big factor because uh, I remember there was a, there was a, a church, um, they were doing a play and um, I think the, the woman that was facilitating the play, I guess she saw that in me and she, she said, oh, there's a pot in this play and, you know, this, this girl gets up on stage and she sings. And the play, ironically, was about a, an African pasta moving to America and I would be playing a character. So that was my first role, if I really think about it. And I would be playing one of three uh, uh, girls in a singing group called the Jerry Bean Sisters. And we were, we were the Americans. So I did uh, like the whole American accent and everything. And I was so excited because I, I'd seen it all on TV. So I knew exactly what Americanisms were. So, um, and then in this particular play, there was a moment where she gets up and she sings. And, and I was, I was like, no, I don't think sister Flo, I don't think I should do this. You know, I, I don't think I'm ready to do that. This is a huge stage. This was a church I'd grown up in, like people who had known me, but they'd never heard me sing publicly. And so she sort of strong armed me. And it feels like my career has been a lot of people with very strong, imposing personalities who have kind of forced me to do like it's like no audition for Canadian Idol no I'm submitting your tape anyway no it's it's always it always felt like I was being like dragged to the altar by many people in my life it's so weird when I think about it because I just didn't have the gusto myself I guess to 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 do it or to own it um which again you know finding my gusto and finding my owning myself and owning my talent was a huge turning point for me and that happened uh later on I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that but that happened in my first ever audition when I when I my friend reached out to me and um so after so yeah so you're right so back to answer your question I think there were serious moments in my life where I uh, we're leading up to it ultimately, you know, um, that maybe I, I chose not to pursue or chose not to, or chose to ignore or chose to, you know, um, go the other way. But yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I have a, a similar, um, journey because I look back and I see these blips where I did something that was performance-based and well-received, but it wasn't even on the table. I didn't even think of that as, I didn't even mm. think of that as an option. Um, yeah. And, and so, and did, did well in school, maybe not to your degree of going, you know, you're going to go to med school and all that, but, but I, but there were other options and this was never something that I thought was uh, even anything, you, you know, it just, mm. it, it wasn't even something that was on the radar. So right. I, I, I do find it interesting that you were kind of dragged to the altar, uh, of <laughs> be, be, it's also interesting because you're, you seem very, 
dynamic and, like you said, not afraid to go be in a position of power, and yet you had to be dragged there. So tell me about uh, Canadian mm-hmm. Idol. What was that? When was that? And what was <laughs> what was that situation? How old were um, you? And how did that come about? And how far did you go? And all of it. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was while I was at U of T doing my science degree, um, studying at three a.m. and just feeling stressed. And like for me, the thing that would de-stress me was music and singing, and which is you know what I what I always say is so ironic because it's like you feel like you have these two separate entities where you're like. Yeah, one one just, you know, it's just the, the the real life is the things that we have to do that that suck and like that, you know, this was my my mindset. When the things that are fun, the things that are that that feed our soul, that that just nourish us, that that revitalize us, those are the things that, you know, we keep for ourselves and we, you know, we can console ourselves to get through these things. Right. Um and so you know, my friend who was studying with me at the time, she's a doctor now. <laughs> she was, she was like, oh, I really love how you sing. You know what? Let's put yourself on tape. Let's just, let's just record it. I want to record it. So this is like three o'clock in the morning. We have a chemistry exam the next day. And so she records me. I'm, I'm acting a fool at this point. Cause I'm delirious, with no sleep, um, trying to balance a bunch of equations. And so I get this broom in my hand and I start singing rescue me rescue me and take me in your arms. But it was like basically a plea to be rescued, literally. Like, help me from this cage that I am living in right now. But um, so ironically, I guess there was just the personality behind it and it was fun and it was, um, and then so she, we recorded it as a joke and then she ended up sending it. Don't ask me how she got the information because at that time they'd opened it up, I think for the first time, they, they had opened it up, even up to stand in line, they opened it up to online uh, to, to people in the country to submit um, electronically. And so I was one of five people in all of Canada who was chosen to come to, to, to come in audition for the top one. Yeah, it was top 100. Uh, oh, my ticket. God. Crazy. Off of this video that we were literally just having fun and just being joking about but anyway um so yeah i got to go do the do the whole song and dance got to meet ben mulrooney and all the stuff didn't get very far uh, i think i i think i had auditioned um yeah the five of us had gone up together and i think we all just went home that first day or something yeah. <laughs> something ridiculous but i was just living the time of my life i was just like meeting all these artists and like just you know being in that environment that was a whole other thing was just to be surrounded by you know musicians who were just who had just this as their one thing like this was they and that's what it is right they weren't um, divided in, 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 in what they wanted. They, and, and that's where kind of where I was. It was like, these, these were artists who were full on out artists and they owned exactly everything about that and what that meant, you know? And so that was inspiring just to be around people who were just passionate and, and singular in, in their purpose and their, their love, um, for something. So yeah, that was a fun little experience, but I think for me, the turning point would have been when a friend of mine who I went to high school with, um, she became an agent and she reached out to me while I was at the call center. And she basically said, hey, so 
I know it's been a long time and, you know, but I, I remember you singing and I, and they're looking right now for Nala. They're, they're auditioning for the Lion King, for the stage play in New York. They're looking for Nala. Uh, and I know you sing. So I submitted your name to one of the biggest casting directors, Stephanie Gorin in Toronto. So you're going in, you have an audition, say that you're, I'm your agent, you know, there you go. Here's the sides. I'm like, what's, what sides? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then the thing was, I was, I knew of the song cause I'd seen the play. It's, you know, the play was one of like the, the most inspiration. Like it, I flew myself to New York to watch that musical because the music was so it just was a part of me. It reminded me of home. And it was. Yeah, that that was like my favorite thing. So it, it, I kind of called it to myself in some degree, to some degree. So I was like, yeah, I know the songs. Perfect. So I uh, got the sides at the time. Here's the funny part is I started dating an actor. And we met on Tinder. Don't ask me how. That was strange in and of itself because I never was, I, I was literally on every app to try and get people to see my music and go to my YouTube and, and like follow. That's, that's all it was. Like I believe that was someone traditionally not on a dating app, but here comes this guy who says, oh, I'm an actor. I'm like, great. Well, what? So it means you're jobless pretty much. <laughs> that was my opinion of it. I was like, Oh, great. But anyway, got to meet him, got to vet him. He wasn't crazy. Um, you know, we had a date and, and then he, I would help him with these auditions here and there. And he was like, Oh, you're pretty good at this. You know, read with him. And he's like, have you thought about acting? I'm like, no, there's only room for one crazy person in this relationship. I'm going to be stable. Thank you very much. So, um, so then my friend brings this audition my way. And so I asked him, I was like, I need your help. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to meet this casting director. I'm going to audition. I know the song, but uh, can you help me with the scene? And the scene is with Nala and Simba and Nala finds Simba and she tries to convince him to come back because they need him in the Pride Lands. And um, so I did the audition and it's funny because I walked into the room and I, I you know, I, I was good enough to, to get past the first round. So the second audition was in front of all seven. They had flown in from New York, like director, everyone, everyone was there. And I, you know, sang the song and the, the director of choreography, everyone. And so I'm, they literally were like, oh, so what's your background? And, you know, you, I, I was like, I don't have any degree in, you know, drama or any of that stuff. I just, you know, I was born in Zimbabwe and they were like, oh, a lot of our cast is actually from South Africa. I said, yes, I, I know I'm very familiar. And they said, okay, so when did you leave? I said, I was 17. And they said, so if ever there was a real life Nala, that would be you. And I said, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Cause this was a scene and a moment when Nala is leaving the only home she's ever known and the devastation she's leaving behind in search of to find the future king to bring him back. Um, and again, for a character who had to go and find someone and bring them, drag them to the altar, whereas in my personal life, I was always on the receiving end. I, I didn't have the, the gusto or the oomph to know what I wanted and to say what I wanted. And that inner strength that a lead like Nala needed to possess, um, even though on the surface I looked like I could. And also, even though my story was so synonymous with the character, I think in my mind, acting was just removing myself from, 
from the Alvina's experience of leaving, you know, Zimbabwe, but they wanted me to explain to infuse that aspect of myself to the, because they asked me, they're like, tell us, how did you feel when you left? Tell us, tell you know, like all these. And I, I was literally trying to keep it together. And I don't think I, I kind of don't think I'd reconciled the trauma of what that meant, like being uprooted at that age, you know, and moving to a new culture and like having to start from scratch and, 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 and to scrap. And I think, you know, I, I, they, I think they sensed it. They saw it. They saw that I was not, I didn't have the conviction. I didn't have the conviction that a queen or that, that a lead needed to have. And I remember coming out of the room and just bawling my eyes out. And, and because yeah, that's the other thing, I'd always prided myself on being a Leo, being a strong woman who, but I, in my own life, I couldn't own my own self. I couldn't, I didn't know what I wanted. I couldn't say what I wanted and I couldn't figure it out for myself. And so I remember thinking after that audition that I know she's in there. And I, I, I think for me, acting became a quest to find my inner Nala, if you will, and my inner strength. And, and, and that was, again, so personal to me because it was synonymous with finding my voice, finding who I was and owning who I was and, and, and yeah, and, and running into that. So that's an amazing story. I, I got goosebumps when you're telling me about the uh, the audition and them saying that you are this person. Um, mm-hmm. And that's even, a lot of pressure. <laughs> but, e- but even in hearing the story, I thought it was going to go a different direction than it did. And what I love is your takeaway of that experience and that that was the turning point. Mm-hmm. So at that point, do you finally admit to yourself and those around you, this is what I'm going to do? This wasn't just yeah. like a, a fluke that I got. I'm not going to keep relying on being dragged to the altar. And, and what do you and what do you do at that point? Like physically, do you move to Vancouver at that point? Do you stay in Toronto? What 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 happened next? What did you okay. do with that? So at that point, once I decided that, you know, I, I wanted to give this my all and that I wanted to own what it meant to be an artist, whatever that meant. Um, and, and also what, what acting would allow me, I didn't say I am an actor. I didn't, I didn't come out right out and say that it was, I commit to figuring out who I am. I think that's what it was. And I think acting was, was the thing that allowed that to happen, to explore so many aspects of myself and what I'm capable of and what I want to say, you know, whether it's through other characters um, that, that, that will allow me to kind of reach that center point of, of, of exactly knowing everything about myself. And so at that point, I decided, okay, so <laughs> here we go. The journey begins. So I sent out an email um, crafted by my, my, my then boyfriend at the time. who was like, okay, we're just going to, we're going to pitch every single agent in Toronto. And that's what we did. We wrote an email. Hi, my name's Alvina. I'm a singer. And here's some of my music. We put the Nala audition on tape. We said, let's put it on tape. Um, and that was sort of, I don't, didn't have a demo. I didn't have any acting school. I didn't have anything. I just had, you know, just, but I didn't have much. So I just sent it out there. And then two responded, uh, two middle tier agents in Toronto responded um, and, you know, met up with coffee with one of them and, and he signed me. And so 
uh, I was signed and I was ripped. And at that point, you know, we were kind of banking on at least doing commercials or, or something of that nature while I, you know, started to, to look into getting training. Um, but it took a, a long time. It took about a year before anything, even the commercials, like for some reason, I wasn't really good at booking commercials. I don't know how that happened. Uh, so the thing I was actually, I, I somehow stumbled into hand modeling just as a way to get, like, I don't know how this is the strangest thing, but we just took a picture of my hands and then we're like, okay, let's see what happens. It ended up being a hand model. They just didn't want my face, Matthew. They were okay with my hands. But uh, so I did like Ikea, like products, product, like pizza, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so that, you know, kind of paid the bills a bit. That was sort of experience in front of the camera. Um, and then a year later, while, you know, the... Rejection, I, I was I was okay with, but at the same time, I think the hardest part for me, which is something I had to get over, was the pride of knowing that I had a university degree that was a science, like that was a degree, and 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 I was working at a restaurant as a as a hostess. I think that was a big like, especially because I was like you know putting people's coats on, like you know it just there was a certain letdown to myself that I was like, oh, did I make them? Like I just feel like like maybe I'm just doing the wrong thing. Like in this journey to find what it who what it was and to find my my the thing that I was supposed to do, like it just was very humbling and it was it was it just was a really tough road. Um, because I wasn't seeing any results. I wasn't seeing, I wasn't being invited into the rooms. And to be honest, Toronto is very hard ground to, uh, to break, especially if you don't have, you know, a degree or they just felt like there was a lot of actors that were go-tos and it just felt like no one was seeing me in any light. And I, and I, I felt like I was capable of more than I was being given. Um, so I would get the odd five, two liner and three liner, but I just felt like I wanted more. I wanted to grow quicker than, than, than I, than I was being allowed to in some way, I guess. Um, so yeah, it got to a point where it was a year in and somehow I, I don't know how this happened, but I, I ended up booking off of a cold read my first ever on-screen TV, anything was 18 episodes as a, a, a fairy tree elf on a Nickelodeon show as the main villain. Crazy. What? Yeah. Wow. After, after how long was it? This is over a this year. This is over a year and a half. And over this is from Toronto? This was from this Toronto. This in Toronto. Yeah. This was my first thing ever. Like, I remember being on set and, you know, the director's like, back to ones. I was like, what's that? <laughs> So <laughs> I'm literally getting paid to learn, to learn how to, it's crazy how that happens so quickly. And, and the irony is I'm getting played, I'm getting, I'm, I'm asked to play a character that is unapologetically powerful and, you know, like ripping into these kids, granted it's a kid's show, but I'm still having to like lightning and thunder and threatening these kids and like find my, my intimidation. And, and the, the director could tell, she's like, you don't really yell at people, do you? I can tell. It's like, I need you to go. <laughs> it's like, okay. So yeah, this, it's, it's just interesting how now I get to play these strong characters, but I, I was, it, it was never 
within me. And that was part of the thing that I wanted was this, this desire to, to know my inner strength, to say things and not apologize about saying them and, and own them and play these characters who had to be, you know, <laughs> had to be that way. So let, it, was, let it me, was teaching me. Let me ask you, first of all, congratulations. And that's what you're still shooting right now, correct? Is that what you're, are you the still Nickel- shooting? No, no, no. The oh. Nickelodeon show, that was, that was before I even moved to Vancouver. That oh. was, the first, oh, that okay. was my first thing, my first credit. I thought you were shooting. I thought that's what moved you. Okay. So you're, so right now though, you're in the middle of, of working on something, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just finished a, uh, a run on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which is an NBC show, musical drama, dramedy. And uh, yeah, there's this singing involved in that. So it's kind of, it's kind of, crazy how I, I now get to have my passion, which is again, music um, and, 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 and my craft kind of collide in this way on this show where I get to be able to sing and dance now. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, 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 it's honestly one of my favorite roles to date. Like I, I just, when you think you can talk something, I, I, you know, I, I get to do something that is just, it just fulfills me in a way that, no other role has. Um, and there is so much depth to the character and the, the issues that are being discussed in particular um, for a time like this about representation and diversity. And um, to be a part of those kind of stories is, is so, I understand the responsibility and, and the weight that and the gravitas and, 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 and how important it is to approach them um, in the way that the show has. And they've done a beautiful job doing that. So I'm really proud of this one. How has that, how has race weighed into your journey? Um, first of all, coming from Zimbabwe to Canada. Uh, second of all, d- just mm-hmm. in growing up, has it, has it played uh, a big role in your journey? Has it, or was it something, were you not aware of race growing up? What, oh, what, wow. what is your relationship to that? Because- um, we will be releasing this during Black History Month. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's important to address that. And especially that you're playing a role that is addressing those issues. I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this past year has been, you know, a, a year of reckoning. Um, to quote the title of the episode, I was, I literally, um, Zoe's, uh, Zoe's reckoning. So Zoe is the lead character white female and it basically takes uh the episode highlights um simon played by john stewart who is an incredible incredible actor and artist and it it puts a spotlight on the tech world and it puts a spotlight on um racism within those uh within that specific career and and other places and other workplaces and it really, um, for me personally, it's it's funny because, like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. And looking back, I think my entire life has always been about race and 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 where I see myself on that spectrum, because there is a reckoning to be had by all, honestly. And and I think for myself, I can speak. I, I can't speak because I've never, I've not been raised. The African American experience is not my experience. I, as a biracial uh, woman who, again, is considered colored or gothel, this, this is the term used in South Africa and Zimbabwe, understand 
there is a certain privilege that comes with being biracial because there was, the history shows preferential treatment towards mixed or anything with white um, within, within your genes. So growing up, I was always aware of certain favoritisms and biases towards me being a mixed person over my friends who were darker skinned. Um, so, and, and also I will talk about the colored community um, in Zimbabwe who unfortunately pride themselves on not being able to speak their mother tongue. My grandmother was black, so she only spoke Shona to us and we would respond in English. But there was this, this constant thing about if you were mixed, you always affiliated more with your white side than you did with your black side. Um, and that is something I think we all have to, you know, we have to take responsibility for. And, and unfortunately that, that leads to a lot of, um, that leads to a lot of negativity among black people and, and the system that has been created to classify and to, uh, to promote one over the other because of, you know, perception of their um, whiteness or their, you know, intelligence or whatever it may be, I think is the problem. And I think, you know, it has really been highlighted this time. Um, and I think, again, the onus is on all of us to sort of see where we can accept responsibility and where we can change certain narratives. Like we can talk about things like that. Like I can talk about that as a, a woman who is, you know, in a position that I am as an actress who, you know, ironically is, is African, but I play African-American and, and, and understanding those, the, the, the complexities that lie in that and the responsibility that comes with that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been, it's definitely been a very emotional time. And the, the way I can, I think where I can kind of talk about it is in, in terms of my hair, because I notice when I wear my hair Afro versus when it is straightened, that in certain spaces, I am not seen as intimidating um, or certain auditions where, you know, I've been asked to straighten my hair. And so that is the, the, the viewpoint that I can offer, you know, not necessarily my skin, not necessarily something like, like having my skin being dark or light, but, but my hair being sort of that, that <laughs> thing that, that, that I can, can show that is, is part of who I am and it is my identity. And therefore I will take onus in wearing it the way I want. And I've had to find my voice in that. I've, I've been on sets where I've let them find my hair and let them straighten it and, and, you know, kind of played in these white circles and kind of had to thought that that was just the way it was because those are the ideals and those are the stanzas of beauty that have been imposed by colonialism and imperialism. And, you know, having to kind of, understand what that means and how damaging that can be for a little girl who sees someone like me on screen and, and you know, questions her own beauty or questions her own worth or value. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's honestly been, it's been a lot, it's been a lot to deal with. And I think I've, I'm definitely going to have to address it at some point. I, I have yet to 
because it's su such a complex position I'm in, I've yet to address it. And I think it, it will take more than just a post. It will take more than just, you know, podcast yeah. interview to, to kind of unravel all of yeah. that. Um, was, there yeah. a, was there a sense of uh, not belonging to either side in some ways? Like, do you, was there that? Uh, no, feeling um, or or belonging to both there how did how does that it, yeah. is interesting um i think i've always been comfortable in places like in, in like i've i've just been more comfortable around black people and 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 that might be again it could be as personal as just my own fractured relationship with my dad you know, or, or sort of the is thing. Is your dad white? Your dad is white. My dad is white British. Yes. White British. My okay. dad is white. And, and so, so that kind of informs your relationship with race too. You know, like I've had moments that I, I look back on where, you know, it would start raining and he said something like, oh, I prefer you here straight. So, so then going to try and straighten. So things like that, you know what I'm saying? So there's just so much more than just, how we're treated in white circles. It, it, it is a personal dynamic that, that infuses how we view certain races or how we view ourselves or how we value other races or how we interact with each other. So, you know, um, you know, and, and like I said, I, I've been in, in situations with my own family where I've had to call them out and say, that's not cool. Don't say that. Um, you know, what makes us better than them? What makes you better than them? And so, yeah, it's 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 been a learning experience, like um, navigating spaces and and trying to understand um, when to when the things that need to be learned, but also the things that need to be unlearned. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I yeah. think that's even so that's even more important are the things that we need to unlearn that are so automatic that you know we don't even think about that. You know, when you really sit and think about them and weigh it you really understand that, wow, words are power and images are power. And um, yeah, we just have to be so much more deliberate and, and careful with, with how we speak to people and how we address people and, and, how, and how we educate ourselves. And it's not just lip service. It's not just a one-time thing or show of solidarity or black square that it, it is lasting and, and that, is, that it is... Um, it is honest and it is raw and it is real. And we all will have uncomfortable conversations with our friends, with our family, with, you know, people, strangers that we meet. But oftentimes it's the people that are closest to you that have the most damage. Like, do you know what I'm saying? I don't care if someone says something about my, my hair or whatever it may be that I don't know. But if it's the people that are closest to you that often inform how you will continue to view others and treat other people, so I think that's that's the important thing. It starts with the dinner conversations. It starts with calling your uncle out, you know, when he talks about people that he sees. Like it starts with those because that is the influence that we have. That is as close as an impact as we can have. It starts, you know, in our home, in our homes. Thank you for sharing that. It's a, I think, a very valuable addition to the conversation just to hear your your unique perspective because it's 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 just so specific um and to hear that you know from your father your uncle that that that's really uh how much weight that carries um mm -hmm. 
I'm, I always ask, ask everybody uh, a few final questions. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give them to you as well. Um, the okay. word no means what to you? This is 10,000 no's. And so, we, you know, we have our own thoughts of what it is, but what, what does the word no mean to you? Hmm. Um, that's interesting. I feel like, I feel like I just, my entire life has been, I, I've lived a life where I've never felt entitled. I've never felt entitled to any yeses. I've never felt like I, my mom had to work for everything she ever had. My, you know, she never, she never, if, if anyone, if she wanted something from someone and they said no, then she, that was never any slight towards her. That was, that was just, okay, well, I'm going to figure it out and I'm, or I'm going to figure out to give myself what I need or, you know, to create what I need or get it from someone else, you know, but as long as I believe that I have something worthwhile, then, then no is not, is not a slight to me in any way. And so I think, yeah, it's easy to hear the word no and, and understand. And I think this is what it is. It's about perspective. It's about, it's about who you give power to, right? And a no is a huge devastation if the power lies with the person giving the no <laughs> in yeah. that, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's that value system. Who, who have you assigned that, that the, the authority to? Um, and yeah, oftentimes the person in authority is the person giving us a job that we audition for or the network. And, and oftentimes they'll, you know, say no, but that's the other thing you have to understand that there's so many other things that go into those decisions that are, that you can't take it personal. Yeah. That, you know, um, so yeah, no is an interesting word. I, I live, no is, is, it's, it's a word that I've come to be comfortable with from a very early age. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's not anything that propels me to, to do something differently or prove them wrong. Um, but it, it is, you know, it is, it is a word that, that is just, you know, it, it just, I guess reinforces that, you know, that you have value and that you, if, if you believe that enough, then you will make things happen for yourself, no matter what happens. And, and, and no matter what happens, it will come to you. If you put in the work, I really believe in the balance of the universe that if you put in the work, somehow it will pay you back. And, and, and maybe not now, maybe no means not now, but eventually I really believe that it, it will come back to you. And, and, yeah, and that's that's my take on it. <laughs> I don't know if that made any sense uh, at makes all. To, makes total sense, and I see eye to eye with it. Uh, what about? Um, do you have any phrase or uh, mantra or life philosophy that you find yourself leaning on when everything goes sideways? Everything seems to be, whether you're knocked down or nothing is working out, is there something that you always come back to that gets you through it? Hmm. Uh, I think it's the thing my grandmother said to me. And she said, your gift will make room for you. And I always come back to that, that phrase in my life because yeah, it, it's just, just understanding that eventually someone will pay attention 
And eventually someone will, will, you know, notice what you're doing and be influenced by what you're doing and, and, and shout, shout you out and thank you. And, and you'll touch someone in some way. And as long as you, you know, your own story, you know, you know, what you possess, you know, what you had to overcome, you know, how many toilets you have to scrub literally to get to where you are. Um, then, you know, your, your, your story is, is your own and it will make room for you and it will speak for you. Even when you don't, it will show, it will, it, it will be in you. If certain roles you book, you're like, I don't know how, but they see it. They see that in you somehow. And you just have to trust that everything that you've gone through is, will show and will come through and it will shine. And, and, and as long as you continue to have an open heart and an open mind, then good things will come to put them out. What about <clears throat> if you could give your younger self advice, mm-hmm. what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? <laughs> um, oh, that's a good, these are good questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, that's so interesting. That's such a complicated question because I feel as though if I, I feel as though everything that has led to, to everything has led to where I am today. Like if, if my dad hadn't said no, I might be in the UK, you know, curing cancer. <laughs> who knows? I, I, who knows where I could be like, you know, so, so that no was just a redirect in my life. And so if I were to give myself advice, I think it would be just, just be more compassionate about uh, towards yourself, because I think sometimes I am my biggest critic. And so, um, I think it's, it's about, you know, you, you don't have to, you don't try and fit in, don't try and fit in anywhere. Like you were made to stand out and, and, you know, don't worry about what other people say. Cause you know, growing up a people pleaser, that is like the one thing that you try and shake and I guess it gets easier. And as you get, I'm in my thirties now, I, I worry less about what people think and, and that's a good thing. And um, I think I would just say, just try, like, just know, know thyself. I think that's what I would say, like know yourself fully and um, just trust that it'll all work out and, and it will pan out and it will, you will get through it day by day. And before you know it, you'll look back on yourself and you'll be proud of the person you've become and, and the things that you've had to go through to get there. And so I would just tell myself, you know, it gets, it gets better, it gets easier. I, I am so, so glad that you were brought to my attention by Ayla. <laughs> this has been really, really great to meet you. And um, I'm so appreciative that you sat down and did this with me. It's, uh, you're, you're, I'm excited to see where you go with your career because you mm-hmm. have, you really offer so much. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad this, this kind of, you know, I'll talk about where the guests come from, that we've had an eclectic group of guests, not just in our industry. Um, and sometimes it's magic the way they come to me. And this mm-hmm. one feels like that. It was, uh, so I apologize for, you know, lack of knowledge of your journey, but I'm it's so appreciative so of your 
of your honesty and even the way you feel these last questions with such thoughtfulness and, you know, not just kind of giving me some uh, nice yeah. sound bite, but actually taking it in and, and really answer. So thank you. Alvina thank August, you. Uh, we're gonna, I feel like you. we're going to hear your name a lot, a lot more <laughs> as we go yeah. on. Well, I hope so. And I mean, thank you for, I mean, I read a snippet on your website about what you were talking about creating your own way. And thank you for being inspirational in that way. And I'm, I'm sort of at that crossroads too, where it's like when you've auditioned enough and you sort of see a, a, a lack in stories and, 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 you know, I mean, I've never auditioned for any Zimbabweans in my career yet uh, South Africa, maybe once or twice, but you know, th there's definitely a need for those kind of stories. And I, and I'm ready to put pen to paper in, in my stage in my career now. And, you know, like you said, you just make things happen for yourself when, when no one else is giving you the opportunities. It's like, what do I really want to say? What do I want to create? And what do I want to put out there? And what will I be behind? Right. So thank you. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay, top three takeaways. We do them every week, and this week is no different. Number one, this is one of the main points of this entire show. There is no such thing as a safe choice or certainty or a guarantee of success. So at the end of the day, you need to pursue the thing that lights you up. Not your parents, not your spouse, you. You'll be more useful to the world if you're more true to yourself. And I think, you know, I was, I was sort of always an artist, but in hiding. And, and I think that was kind of a snippet to me of, of the things that, that were kind of laying beneath the surface, I guess. Um, but, you know, I didn't really think anything of it because who becomes an artist? Like those are not things we are raised to believe that you could, you know, be, become an actor. Those are things that, you know, are reserved to people who, you know, have the privilege of dreaming. We, we have, you go to school, you become a doctor, you become a lawyer, you do the thing that will guarantee success. Number two, wherever you are now is not where you'll always be. Alvina works all the time now. She's a success. But when she had that audition for The Lion King, something that felt like the stars were aligning for her at the moment, she wasn't ready. I, they, I think they sensed it. They saw it. They saw that I was not, I didn't have the conviction. I didn't have the conviction that a queen or that, that a lead needed to have. And I remember coming out of the room and just bawling my eyes out. How sad would it have been if she took that no so personally that it shut her down completely. Most of us, wherever we are on our journey right now, still have work to do on ourselves before we get to that next level. Number three, I love what Alvina's grandmother told her, your gift will make room for you. Yeah, it's just, just understanding that eventually someone will pay attention and eventually someone will, will, you know, notice what you're doing and be influenced by what you're doing and, and, and shout, shout you out and thank you. And, and you'll touch someone in some way. And as long as you, you know, your own story, you know, you know, what you possess, you know, what you had to overcome, you know, how many toilets you had to scrub literally to get to where you are. Um, then, you know, your, your, your story is, is your own and it will make room for you and it will speak for you, even when you don't. 
All right. Thank you, Alvina August, my birthday sister. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you got all the takeaways that I got. Uh, Just, I'm I'm so lucky to get all these incredible guests and then to meet someone like Alvina, just totally spur of the moment and uh, literally meet her on the interview. Uh, I feel very lucky. I can't wait to see what she does. And um, listen, if you are enjoying these shows, if you are enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and rate and review it. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review. People see that. It gives the show visibility. Um, You know, we put all this out there, put a ton of work into it. And um, that review really gives it visibility and um, just allows other people to get this information, which I feel passionately can help someone. Someone hears these stories of inspiration. It's going to hit them. They're on their journey. Maybe it did it for you today. Maybe it didn't do it for you today, but it's going to do it for someone down the line. So please consider doing that. Um, Also, as I said in the beginning, check out the Insiders community. We have a link for that in the show notes, as well as a bunch of links for Alvina and uh, and for the show. And um, go check it out. See if it's something that's for you. In the meantime, have a great week and we will see you back here next week. 